Thank you for listening to the Hope Canteen Interview Podcast, where we find insight into our own walk with Christ by listening to the insights and stories of interesting people. Today, we are so happy to be talking with Bishop Gordon Light about worship and music. And we're looking forward to this conversation, particularly, I think, because Bishop Light brings together two perspectives on this worship question. Because on the one hand, he is a retired bishop in the Anglican Church of Canada, And on the other hand, he's a successful singer-songwriter. Just for a little background, for those of you who may not be as familiar with Bishop Light, he was the dean of the Diocese of Caribou and Canloops when he then went to Toronto in 92 to serve as principal secretary to the primate. He returned west in 2001, where he was the administrative assistant to the Metropolitan of BC and Yukon and then consecrated bishop for the Anglican parishes of the Central Interior, which is now called the Territory of the Peoples, until he retired in 2008. On the music side, he, along with three other clergy in Winnipeg, formed the group Common Cup Company. With different members over the years, they've toured all over, produced six CDs, have had their songs appear in numerous hymnals. People continue to sing with great enthusiasm songs such as Draw the Circle Wide, She Flies On, More Than We Can Ask or Imagine, and many others. Gordon, this is all very impressive. Let me just say you are most welcome. Thank you so much for being willing to join us today on our podcast. Well, it's good to be with you. Thank you, Stephen and Stephanie. This is the second podcast episode on a series on worship that we're beginning in our church this spring. Part of this is motivated by the challenges that the pandemic has brought to worship as we have practiced it in the past. So as we look towards someday moving back into the three-dimensional church, we thought this would be an important time to have some conversations around what worship is and why we do what we do. So this is why we're excited to be welcoming you to our virtual table this afternoon. Just curious, wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like juggling being a bishop and at the same time helping to lead a music group. Well, that was, uh, I I wondered before when I was elected just how this was going to work. But I just through all the time that I was both priest and bishop would take holiday time to, to do the common cup. I didn't feel like a kind of create extra time out of that. But so I used mostly my holiday time to do that. And I didn't see any big conflict in it. I, it, it seemed to actually work well together. I'm, I'm thinking of, I did a number of parish concerts within now the territory of the people within our area. And that was always fun to do besides coming into parishes and meeting folks, preaching, listening, all the other kinds of things a bishop does when he's uh, gathering with people in a particular parish. Not in everyone, but there were certainly some that, that said, could you do this yearly for us? And so actually a few of them used it as a fundraiser. So that always uh, got me points from <laughs> fundraiser for their ministry. <laughs> so, yeah, that was always kind of fun. I don't remember. Um, it wasn't hard to uh, see the two together, but I was with Common Cup and we were doing concerts in various places. I just kind of let go of the bishop thing altogether in my in my head anyways, because unless somebody phoned or emailed a problem, that was, I don't think it really needs to be a distraction or anything like that. I wasn't even thinking about it being a distraction. I was actually wondering if the one enhanced the other at all. Maybe. I think that's what I was trying to say at the beginning, maybe. And I think back to there, if you go through an Anglican hymnal, you'll see a number of uh, hymns written by bishops, too, which are 
So if anybody ever raised an issue, I could say, oh yeah, don't forget to Bishop so-and-so. And I can't even remember their names now. That's terrible, but I've forgotten a lot more than I remember. So, But, but you're part of a great tradition in doing that. Yeah, that's what I used to tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into writing your own music and being a songwriter or hymn writer? I don't know. I've always liked to, to dabble in poetry a little bit. I wouldn't call these poems or anything but and I've always my mother encouraged me as a, a child in singing she was I remember listening to her she sang in a choir and I remember the day she did a solo I was just mesmerized I just thought this is beautiful I just was so enchanted so when I started to play guitar my first attempts were terrible I thought you could just pick it up I didn't realize you had to tune it too and then <laughs> once you tuned it it didn't make any sense to me either and I didn't have any instruction instructors, so the first one just went, we sold it, I think. And then I begged my parents for another, and they gave in, and I did learn it. I've never been a great guitarist, but I love ballads, and I've always liked to do that kind of things. And of course, the 60s folk music stuff was where I grounded myself, I think. And I like stories, too, so the story became a part of it. But I remember... It was in 1979. I was in St. Luke's, Winnipeg, and Ian and Jim, Ian McDonald and Jim Urich, both now gone. I'm hoping they're preparing the table when I go. <laughs> they started at Augustine United, which was just two blocks from us. So I went over just to say hello. And I saw instruments in their office and said, so do you guys play anything? And they said, yeah, we play and we try to write things for Sundays. And I said, I play guitar a little too. Could I bring mine over sometime? And I said, sure. So I remember daring sing two songs for them that I'd written. And they were so encouraging, it just broke a log jam somewhere inside. Because I had always been just holding it within myself. I had no idea how to share it or didn't really know if I if it was worth sharing. But uh, meeting those guys and then working, we, we did a lot of ecumenical work together. Fall faith forums and Lenten faith forums. We had one Holy Week and Easter week together uh, with a mission that, that we shared for, with about four or five churches in the downtown core. It was fabulous. And we did a lot of writing and singing together. I'm wondering, Gordon, as you reflect on being a leader of worship, I almost want to say on both sides, you know, behind the altar, as well as on the side of leasing the musical ministry, when in your own mind, when you think of this word worship, worshiping God, what's the most important thing about worship to you if you're teaching a congregation or even in your own life as you're leading worship? What, what is that for you, worship? Well, the pandemic's given us some chance to think about that a little more, I think. It, it, um, I was thinking about what I miss from worship. Touch is one thing. We can't touch one another now in terms of the peace or coming to the table and opening our hands to receive the gifts God gives us. We can not We can gather as a community, but it, unlike anything we experienced up until a year and a bit ago through Zoom and virtual worship, but we do miss song too. We can hear it on, online and we can sing along if we're at home listening or sharing in worship that way, but we can't be together singing. And that's such a huge part of worship, it seems to me. I, I mean, prayer is obviously a part of it, and we can do that whenever and with whoever or on our own. But to pray together, either standing or sitting or kneeling with one another is something that's so, so key in our experience. I miss that a lot. It's 
It's been great to be at worship every Sunday with my wife sitting beside me at the table and we're looking at at our iPad or a, a laptop and connecting with others through the chat that happens along with it. But I sure miss, we all miss uh, being together. Last summer, we have a a yard that allows us to have a dozen or 15 people out back and we had gatherings that were socially distanced. That was when the pandemic didn't seem to be quite as hectic or or at us as as it is now. But we were able to do that and that was really good. We still couldn't share the peace. We had a sense of distance, but we did have a, a richer sense of being together. And not for nothing, our worship centers around a table and being a family. That's a great image, the gathering around the table. Would you be willing to expand on that a little bit? Like, what is it about the table and gathering that speaks about worship to you? The sense that God feeds us. I was listening to your podcast on the Lucan story of Jesus appearing to the disciples. And have you got some fish? Bring me some fish. I'll eat it for you. And kind of a lab demonstration, but that's 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 a, a crude way to put it. But But the sense that God is there to feed us and calls us to a place where the table's mostly a place of joy. We've had fights in our families on occasion, or we feel a real distance, and we come to eat dinner together. The food doesn't go down very well, does it? It's really, um, but when we come together and worship, even out of situations that are also different, and we gather there to have somebody place the bread in our hands or to give us the cup to drink, there's something about that that just is such an image of God providing and intimacy with, with God too. I know when you um, have visited St. Thomas's on a number of occasions over the years with the Common Cup Company, you've stayed with with people in the congregation. And I'm just imagining that you've probably shared tables with, with people all over, at least Western Canada. And I'm just wondering, has yeah. that informed your faith at all or it's your understanding of the church? It certainly enriched it. I, when you said that, I just remember one occasion when we were at Agnes's table and it, we probably had a little too much wine. You may not want to go with this, but, and Ian, bless Ian, he was such a, he was just such, such a free person. And I just remember uh, we were singing together. I mean, just all of us singing something. And Ian got up on her table and <laughs> stood there and directed us. And it was such a joyful time. <laughs> I, it was, but it was crazy. I wouldn't suggest that for a church. But, you know, but, I think that's one of those things that maybe we're missing in the pandemic is the joy that comes from singing together. Oh, absolutely. Being together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. I'm curious, one of the things, so one of the reasons I was interested about this juxtaposition between being a bishop and being a singer-songwriter, often in the past, we've actually had people who identify music as the worship, and obviously worship is bigger than music, but I do wonder if you've thought about kind of how you understand that relationship between music and worship, like how do they, how do they go together? Music and singing, I mean, we have all sorts of organ preludes and, and or piano or whatever often in, in our churches. And that's such an offering by the person doing that. Singing is much more communal, obviously, but it's a way of uh, offering oneself. There was something that, oh, I know I was going to say, it was the, um, in scripture, I was thinking about this the other day, that Luke's gospel opens with four hymns. Well, in the, in the first chapter, so first two chapters, there's four hymns. 
Magnificat, Mary's song. There's the Benedictus, the Song of Simeon. There's the Song of Zechariah, the Nantinus. And there's the Angel Song. It's just full of, and every one of those seems to me to be a worshipful moment, a rich and full time. And even the beginning of the Old Testament and the beginning of, well, not the beginning of the New Testament, the beginning of John's Gospel, both of those are hymns. Creation story, the first creation story, Genesis 1, is a hymn has a chorus, it has um, verses, at least seven of them, and the chorus that goes with each. John's prelude, prologue, is, is, a, is a hymn. It was, um, has been identified as such by a number of scholars. So I, I think in, in our scripture then, hymn singing was such a big thing. And I, even Paul quotes, in a few of his letters, quotes fragments of hymns. So that was obviously a part of the early church's expression of worship too. I know within the Common Cup Company itself, in the, what you just told us, you've, you've actually done a lot of work across denominations. Have you found that music has allowed those relationships to happen in a different way? Or? I remember as, as a teenager going with a friend through uh, SCM at Carleton University, and there were a number of us there, and we were different denominations, but my closest friends were United Church, and going with one of them to his church for an early Easter morning, being invited to receive communion, I said, no, I think I won't. I don't think I should be. You only have it once a, a day and, and at the most, and I'm going to my own church later, so I want... And I remember going home regretting that so much, like, what was I thinking? Why was I so hidebound or kind of super Anglican all of a sudden? You know, it was just to be invited to the table and not go and say, no, I got my own table to go back to is just, it, but I learned I would never do that again. Never, ever. I'm happy to receive in the United Church or Presbyterian or Lutheran, whatever, if, if I'm invited. And it's a sign of that we belong to one another in Christ. No, well, and it strikes me from your music lyrics, especially again, I'm thinking of those three songs, Draw the Circle Wide, She Flies On, and More Than We Can Ask or Imagine. You have such an inclusive, and I want to also say expansive vision of God and worship and who we are as a Christian people. And I just wondered if you'd be willing to comment. Is that, does that echo right to you, this kind of inclusive, expansive vision of what we're doing mm -hmm. Yeah, and it comes out of some painful learnings at times, too. But let yourself be locked into a particular church policy or way of being, even though you think maybe it should be another way, but, but you've kind of bought into that. I remember with She Flies On, we were invited to go to Prairie Christian Training Center, which is closed now, but it was in Capel Valley in Saskatchewan. I went with a song because I felt I had to bring something and I hadn't written for a long time. In that song, the, the language was all uh, masculine. I will listen to the Lord and hear him. I will listen. The song is I will listen. I will listen to him speaking deep within me. I've forgotten the lines right now, but, but it was just all of that. And I remember the director of that event saying, no, you can't sing that. Is that bad? He said, no, it's just all his language. God is bigger than that. And I, like Jonah, went away and sulked. But then I went and changed it to say, I will listen to you. And it became more prayer rather than uh, something else. And I just remember that whole week being revelatory for me. It was, and it was out of that week that I wrote She Flies On too. That, um, and it was just for me, within me, it was like, I can breathe freedom, something like that. Because the word for spirit in Greek, as you, probably, as you know, is um, pneuma, which is neutral. It's not masculine or feminine. And the word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach, which is feminine. So there's lots of biblical precedent. And something like 
Draw the Circle Wide was we were having so many discussions about the blessing of same-sex unions and all of that. This is back in the 90s. And I was, I, I was also a, a church civil servant working in the primate's office. You don't start declaring things all sorts of ways that could make it difficult for him. So I simply um, wrote this as a way of saying what I felt about same-sex unions. And it wasn't just that, it was bigger than that, but it was, that was the kind of impetus. It came out of a phrase from Edmund Browning that a kind of state of the church address he gave where twice he said in it, we have to draw the circle wide. Just went home from that meeting, which was in Omaha, Nebraska, and wrote the song on the plane going back to Toronto. And then Common Cup was leading worship at our own uh, council general synod, whatever it was called then, National Executive Council. And we sang it there too. That was the first time that we sang it together. Saying that, I wanted to pick up on something you said. I love that phrase you said, when you changed the line from him to you, it made the song more of a prayer. It was a prayer and it wasn't, wasn't a prayer before that. Did, was, do you see most of your songs as being a way of praying? Probably not all of them. I looked at the lyrics of all of them now. I probably said, well, that isn't really a prayer, but it's, it comes out of prayer. I, I know that. And um, many of them are prayers. Yeah, I, I do. More than we can ask or imagine is a prayer. Yeah, um, I think. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah right. I love singing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the songs, I know three or four different songs that are based in phrases from a, a different songs. And they're, they're a scriptural hymn book and prayer book too. Yeah, it strikes me as you're talking just how music can be the meeting place. But within that, I think we're all painfully aware that it can also be a source of tension in yeah. churches <laughs> very much. And just wondering if you had any wisdom around that or in your experience, if if you've known churches to have navigated that well. You remind me of a time when I, I was uh, I probably was preaching. And so I'm, I'm going to sing a song as part of the sermon. I got my guitar and heard a voice from the congregation. Say, oh, he's got that damned instrument again or something like that. And I just was like, what do I do now? I just carried on. I, it was like, it was a, it was a teachable moment for me. Like, okay, don't push things on people. But at the same time, it's, um, if we have gifts to offer, then hopefully we'll have the, uh, the, both the freedom to offer them and the uh, wisdom to use that offering wisely, too. I don't sense a lot of tension in the church. No, hey, you do. I, I'm interested. Do you experience some of that? I do. Yeah, I think okay. people do have very strong tastes in music and, and the way that they worship best. What I liked about what you said, putting these two things together, I think there's great wisdom here. They're giving space for people who have gifts, the space to do it, but also the wisdom in, in doing that well. I think that's a helpful thing because, of course, that's that's what we're hoping when we invite our congregation to do all kinds of different things. I mean, some people, you know, serve, some people preach, some people work in the community and some people do music. And if we truly believe absolutely that God brings all these gifts together, I think we have to honor that. So, no, I'm grateful for those those words of yours. Yeah. In my experience of your parishes, it's pretty open. Um, but then I've only been there for a few concerts and things. So, oh, it's a great but, parish. We yeah, love it very I, much. Oh, I'm sure I've enjoyed being there. St. Thomas is a rich, rich community. I loved what you said, Stephanie, about music being a meeting place. I hadn't thought of that. I'll think about that some because that's a, that's a beautiful way of putting it, that 
and maybe many meeting places. I love listening to our organist at, uh, after church on Sundays. Well, we haven't had, well, I can only listen online now, but, and the congregation is, I mean, she's just great. And at the end of her um, postludes, everybody stands and applauds, all those who were still there, and that's a majority. Well, and it strikes me in the ecumenical thing, and that's where you've had a lot of experience, but a meeting place as well. You know, you go to the Roman Catholic Church, we can't take communion together, but we can sing together. And so sometimes mm-hmm. ecumenical gatherings, that's what we do because that's what we can do. I have an impossible question for you. Good, um, you'll get an impossible answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, at this point in time, do you have a favorite song? <laughs> Something you've written or not, but some song or piece of music that, that you particularly love? You know, they change all the time because um, if, if we're getting ready for a concert, I, I start practicing, I start to listen hard to what we're singing too. But the last time I was asked that question was when we were on, at a, we did a workshop or a mission and concert in Whitehorse and someone said, what's your favorite song? They asked of, of each of us uh, in the group, and mine then, and it still really is, a song for John. I don't know if you know that song. It's um, an Advent song for John the Baptist. And it's, um, you can find it on our website. It's a song that sort of tries to see the other side of John, which is uh, he's such a full of thunder and the, the kind of typical evangelical preacher. But I think there's another side of him, and it's betrayed in verses such as John saying, Behold the Lamb of God, not not the um, hammer of God, but the Lamb of God. It's betrayed in verses that I must decrease so he can increase. And it's just, there's a, a side that's full of humility. I think he was full of humility. Well, Bishop Gordon, I want to say thank you so much for giving us of your time. It's very generous, and this was a wonderful podcast. I want to say thank you to our listeners so much for taking the time. And if you have any questions or comments or even your own favorite piece of music from the Common Company, we would love to hear it. You can put it in the comments on our website or send it to me at RevStevelondon at gmail.com. Until then, we'll see you next time. Take care.